0: Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? Doing okay? Yeah? All right. Fighting traffic in Rockport on Memorial Day weekend. Y'all excited about that? Not so much. All right, we'll pray for patience today. That'll be all right. It is a fantastic Sunday to be at Coastal Oaks Church. I'm so glad that you have joined us for worship. If you're worshiping online, we are glad to welcome you as well. And today is a great day because we have some new folks in our midst, and you've probably already seen them, but let me let you know, we have Pastor Chris Irving and his family who are here today. They are sitting right over there. Can we give them a welcome? Yeah. I promise you, whatever you had to do to get to church this morning, pales in comparison to what they had to do. Like, I had to iron a shirt, and I thought that was a big deal. They had to fly across the Pacific Ocean to get here, all right? Like, they win. They have had to do a lot to be here, and we are so happy to welcome them and uh, just glad that they are here for uh, this church and looking forward to them being here and preaching next week and doing all of those great things. I'm also personally excited because my family is here today. My wife and kiddos are down here. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, this is my daughter, Emma, over here. Emma is going to be a senior uh, next year, which is so weird for me to say. I can't even believe those words are coming out of my mouth. She's a gymnastics coach, uh, works with three- and four-year-olds, and has a blast doing that. This is my son, Cademan. He's going to be a ninth grader next year. If it's weird to say I have a senior in high school, it's even stranger for my wife and I to think we have two high school kids. I don't even know. It's like we blinked, and, uh, and time has just flown by, but he is a swimmer, and uh, we're so proud of all that he's done, and this is my wife, Erin, she is the director of family ministries at our church in Corpus Christi, so she oversees all the, the children's ministry and preschool, and there's probably any number of crazy things happening back at our church right now because she's here and not putting out fires over there, but I'm sure they are getting it taken care of, and if you get to work tomorrow, babe, and there's any kids left over, you'll know what to do, right? Like, you'll, you'll figure that out. There's not going to be any kids left over, I promise. That's only happened once, and we dealt with it. It's, uh, it's not a big deal. They know what to do, but no, Aaron. I, I'm so proud of all that she does, and uh, I have bragged on this church so much to them, and for them to be here today and to worship alongside of all of us is just a really special occasion for me, so I'm glad that they're here, and thank you uh, to you all for making them feel welcome already this morning and shaking their hands and saying hello. I know that they appreciate it, so I, I sometimes describe like my wife. We, we are kind of perfect compliments for one another, the, the things in my personality that, that I'm Strong at, oftentimes those aren't her strength areas, and the things she's strong at are not my strength areas. And there was recently this personality inventory that I took and it, really, it revealed exactly what I would have thought to be true beforehand, but it's that we were in compliments to one another. Like, just the thing that I am good at according to this personality test is exactly what she's not so good at, and, and what she is good at is not what I'm good at at all. And what it revealed is that I am really good at thinking up new ideas or dreaming up new projects, but I am not always good at finishing those projects. Can anybody else, Relate out there at all. Are there are a few of you. Yeah, some of y'all are like applauding on behalf of your spouse who's with you. You're like, yes, they can't finish anything, right? Like this person, they can dream up ideas, but they never finish anything. And if, like, left unchecked, that's kind of my personality. I, I will start books and read a few chapters. And I'm like, that's a really good book. And then I just put it aside and grab the new one because I'm like, I think I got what they're saying. All right. Like, I got the point. I understand what's happening. Sure. Let's get on to the new book. Um, I, I, when I was finishing my dissertation, one of the hardest pages for me to write was the thank you page, and it wasn't because I didn't appreciate the contributions of my family or my coworkers or, or other people who had helped along the way. It was just the last page I had to write, and I felt like I had already used all of my words. Like I had, I had no more words to give, and I had one more page to type, and it was just awful trying to get it all out on the page because finishing things are tough for me. Now you might feel that way as well, like you're good at dreaming up ideas but finishing them is tough. Maybe you've even got a project that you started it in the pandemic and you're like, I am going to fix this thing or remodel this thing or take apart this thing or, or repaint this thing. And it's not quite done, right? Like, but it's done enough. That's how you get out of this, by the way. That's like the antidote to this type of personality. Somebody says, well, that's not finished. And you're like, but it's finished enough, right? Like, it's, uh, it's good. No, it's good enough. It's done enough. That is kind of what I say all the time. But if you ever have felt that way and you just think, oh my goodness, I wish I was a little bit better at finishing some things, I've got a great reminder for you today. And it's from the passage that we're going to look at together. We're going to stand. We're going to read it in just a moment. And if you have your Bibles in Philippians chapter one, we're going to look at just a few verses. And these verses give me such great hope because these verses remind us that Paul uh, Paul tells us that God is both a creative God and a God who sees things through to the end. That God is constantly beginning a new work of grace in the lives of his followers, but he also promises to see that work through to its completion. God is a creative God, but God is also a God who finishes what he started. Paul reminds us of that, and I can think of no better scripture for us to read together today in this Transition Sunday than this scripture right here. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read it together. It will also be on the screen, and I'm actually going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to read verses 3, 4, and 5, and then together I'd like for us to read verse 6 Uh, all together as a reminder of the promise that Paul writes right here. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask if you'd stand together and honor the reading of God's Word, this thing that we have done together Sunday after Sunday, but that generations of believers have done together. We stand to read the Bible together. And this is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1. I'll read verses 3, 4, and 5, and then you can join me in verse 6. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And all together, let's read this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat, church. What a great promise and a great reminder. I mean, I would echo the words that Paul says there, that, that I thank God every time I think about Coastal Oaks Church, that in my prayers for you, I pray with such joy because we have had this partnership for the gospel during these last few months. But that last verse, verse six, that God who began a good work will carry it on to completion. That God is going to finish what he started gives me an incredible amount of hope. And hope is a word that we toss around. And I'm not exactly sure where hope always comes from From for me. I don't know where your hope always comes from. Sometimes I have found that I might say, like I've got hope because of something that's gonna happen out there in the future. And it might even be something trivial, but it's just like, it just kind of gives me hope. I can wake up in the morning and think about good days in the future because maybe like I'm gonna take a trip or I get to do something fun or there there's something on the horizon. And I might say, oh, that brings me hope hope to think about that thing in the future. Maybe it's some innovation or technology or new thing. Like we just got a Roomba. Ooh, aren't we fancy? We just got a Roomba. I'm telling you, that thing is amazing. It just goes right under the couch. It vacuums up all the stuff. We don't even have to do anything. It just vacuums. It's amazing. If we could apply that same ingenuity to the rest of the world, everything would be fixed, I think. And I might say, man, I, I have hope because of the Roomba. Not not really, but it's like, man, that's just that's so amazing. I love that thing. But you know what I found over the last 18 months is that I realized just how trivial some of those sources of hope really are. Because over the last season, the pandemic, the 18 months just since lockdown, maybe even stretching back before that, you know what I started to realize is all of those small things that I might have said brought me hope, they just kind of were chipped away little by little and exposed for what they really were. I might have said, well, I have hope because I have a job and I can provide for our family, but all of us probably at one time or another felt like maybe our job wasn't as secure as what we thought. I might say, well, I had hope because, you know, I can see my friends, I can see my family until we couldn't. And all of those things that I might say, well, I have hope because of this, or I think the future will be better because of this, it just seemed like little by little things eroded away. And truthfully, there were even some times when to suggest that there would be better days in the future, that I could have hope for the future almost seemed flippant or irresponsible. But this verse reminds us that even though we might put our hope in the wrong things sometimes, even though I might place my hope and think that there will be better days because of a trip, because of a new job, because of any other number of things, even though I might think that that I know where my hope comes from. And I know that God, who began a good work in my life, is gonna carry it on until completion. And so one of the greatest opportunities we have right now, right here at this moment, because we've seen that those other sources don't provide the hope that we long for, we can name them, we can remember that's not where my hope comes from. No, my hope comes from the Lord. And today, as we end one chapter in Coastal Oaks history and begin a new chapter, I want to remind you that the God who began a good work here at this church is going to see things through until completion. And that means that we can have hope that there are good days ahead. And we don't just say it for any reason. We don't just say that casually. No, we believe that there are good days ahead because of what Scripture promises One of the reasons we know that there are good days ahead is because God promises that his presence will stay with us. Uh, Sometimes when we get home from a trip as a family, um, and and like we just were traveling over the last couple of days, and we get home, and the house is dark and quiet, and we haven't been there for a little while, like nobody wants to be the first person in the house, right? Like there's just something about that, like, oh, I don't know, you go first. No, you go first, right? And if the kids are the first one to get to the door, they'll kind of look back and they'll say what, what your kids have probably said, and they're like, hey, come with me, right? Like if your kids ever said that, hey, will you just come with me as though I'm am like some staggering presence that could like ward off any danger, I don't know. That's how desperate they are. They're like, even dad, yeah, come with me, dad, uh, just... I don't know what's in there, but you've got a cell phone. You can dial faster than I can. Come on, Dad. Come with me. Your kids have probably said that, right? They're going into some unknown place. Maybe it was their first day of school, they're just like, oh, will you come with me? Maybe it's the first day of high school, and they're they're having to go, like, find where all their classes are going to be on that orientation day, and they're just like, come with me. Hey, will you come with me? I'm sure you've had those moments where you're going someplace that's new and, and it's so hard to just take a step all by yourself. And if somebody would just come with you, you look around and you're like, hey, will you just, will you come with me? Will you, will you go do this thing with me? Will you come with me? It's amazing what having that trusted presence can do for us when we take a step into the unknown. Well, Scripture reminds us that that there have been times where God's people have faced some unknown in the future, some transition, and God has promised that his presence will go with them. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is giving uh, one of his final addresses to the people of Israel, and this should be an amazing moment for the people because they have reached the edge of the promised land. This thing that they've been talking about for decades, they, they have been dreaming about it. They have reached the promised land and it is time for them to go into this place that has been promised to them. But Moses stands up and he tells them what could be perceived as bad news and he says, I am not going to go with you. Can you imagine the shock that must have broken out in the people? Wait, but Moses, Moses, you've been with us from the beginning. Everything that's happened, you, you initiated all of this. Like you showed up and, and Pharaoh wouldn't listen to you, but, but, but you made him listen and you have led us. What, what do you mean, Moses? You're not going to go with us. And Moses says, I've got even worse news for you. There, there are some difficult things that you're going to face. There's some enemies that you're going to face. There is opposition on the other side of this river. In the promised land, there are people who don't want you there. It's going to be difficult. And the people are hearing all of this. And they must have been downcast. And surely they were scared. But Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, he says, You should be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Moses says you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be terrified. You don't have to be discouraged because God is going to go with you. You're not going to be alone. God is going to go with you. God, God has been with you, and he's going to continue on with you. Now, lest we think that's just something that that the people of Israel in the Old Testament times struggled with, Jesus, when he makes his final address to his disciples, he gathers them up, and in the final chapter of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, he reminds them that he also would be with them always, even to the very end of the age. Think about that. The disciples have seen the miraculous they have seen Jesus do so many incredible things, and most recently, he has risen from the dead. But they gather together, and Jesus says, I'm I'm leaving you. I'm, I'm going away. And they know that there are difficulties that are gonna come up. There are people who, who do not want them to go out and talk about Jesus. But Jesus says, You shouldn't be afraid. And why is that? Because he says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, God knows that transition moments can be difficult because we are losing some familiarity, but this is also an opportunity for every one of us, for our faith to grow because when change happens, we can open ourselves up to being more dependent on God's presence For the people of Israel, they had to recognize that while Moses had been a faithful leader, it wasn't ultimately Moses that had been the one who had provided for them. And Jesus, even though Jesus had led them, Jesus was going to still be with them. Jesus promised his Holy Spirit he was going to continue on with them. And so that change, that transition, that moment had to be difficult, and yet it was a faith-building moment. And church, the same thing is true today. We can be confident, our faith can grow. We can remember that there are good days ahead because God's presence is going to go with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can also be confident that there are good days ahead because God calls new leaders. Have you ever heard the term, uh, they're passing on the mantle of leadership like you've probably heard that before or read that or somebody talks about passing on the mantle it's kind of a strange term when you think about it like we just repeat it and yet if you had to think why why do they call it a mantle like that's odd is that having to do with a fireplace like I don't understand are they going to give their fireplace to somebody else does it mean like you get to put your pictures on the mantle and that's what it means passing the mantle of leadership what is that Well, the Old Testament records a number of times where the the word mantle is used, and a mantle was like an outer cloak or, or a jacket or a coat or a robe. It was some outer garment that was worn that was a symbol of authority. And one of the most famous instances of passing on a mantle was between the prophet Elijah with his successor, Elisha. Moses, he, he had this rod or this staff that he would uh, hold, and, and it was a symbolic uh, piece of, of uh, it was just so symbolic of his authority, right? He had his rod or his staff, and that rod had been used to separate the water so that people could walk across on dry ground in the Red Sea. Well, Elijah's mantle was also used in a similar way. In 2 Kings chapter 2, it says that Elijah took his mantle and he folded it together and he struck the waters and they were divided here and there so that the two of them could cross over on dry ground. Elijah's mantle was a symbol of his authority, a symbol of his calling from God. But when the time came for Elijah to groom a successor, he used his mantle ceremonially with Elisha. Elijah actually took off his mantle and he placed it on Elisha. And he did that because he wanted people to see that God had called a new leader. Elijah took off this Elijah took off the symbol of authority and placed it on Elisha to say that God was raising up a new leader. And this isn't the only instance in scripture. In fact, we see over and over again that there is this pattern That God raises up a leader, but then God raises up another leader, and then God raises up another leader, and he does this over and over again. And so today, we actually get to be a part of a tradition that occurs in Scripture. And so when we read about the stories of the leaders and the prophets and the evangelists, we remember that new leaders are actually a sign of God's faithfulness. That God doesn't just raise up a leader and turn his attention to something else and forget about what's going on. No, God is faithful to provide a leader. And the very moment that, that PK, when he announced that he was actually feeling called to a new position, that in that moment, God was already beginning the process of raising up a new leader And so we can be confident that there are good days ahead because God is faithful. And how do we know that he's faithful? Because we can see that he is called a new leader to the people of Coastal Oaks Church. And lastly, we can be confident that there are good days ahead because God gives us all an opportunity to join him in his work. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that that is split. They are divided, and one of the reasons that they're divided is because there was another preacher, Apollos, and some of the people liked Apollos, and they thought, you know what, we're on kind of team Apollos. Like, we're with Apollos. We think he's the best. Apollos is who we should follow. But some other people said, no, you know, we're actually on Team Paul. We think Paul is the best, and they started to fight about that. There were some people who, who claimed to follow Apollos, and there were some who claimed to follow Paul, and Paul writes his letter to the church in Corinth, and he just jumps right into the middle of this disagreement. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants. Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service." Paul asks in his letter, why would you you attach yourself to Apollos? Or why would you attach yourself to Paul? Or really, why would you attach yourself to any one particular person? Shouldn't we be attaching ourselves to Christ? Why would you say, I follow Apollos or I follow Paul? Shouldn't we say, I follow Christ? Christ. When I was in college, uh, the job that, that I had for a while, I was a waiter at a fine establishment. You've probably heard of it. I don't think it's just uh, only reserved for San Antonio. It was called the International House of Pancakes. Are y'all familiar with IHOP? Y'all know about IHOP? Yes, I was one of the distinguished few that served in this world-class establishment. It's not like you just call yourself the International House of Pancakes. That, that has to be designated by the UN, I believe, uh, to claim that title. It was quite the upscale place. And I wanted to be the best waiter that I could possibly be. And so I like learned the menu backwards and forwards, and I had developed this skill, this ability, where I could hear everybody's orders, and I never needed to write anything down. Like I would just listen to the people's orders, no matter how many change requests they had, no matter how many special orders, no matter if they wanted to combine things. They're like, I want a hamburger, but I actually want the top bun to be a pancake and the bottom to be a crepe. I don't even know if you do that, but that's what I want. I could hear all of that, internalize it, big group, small group, didn't matter, I had learned how to do that. And I kind of used that as a little bit of a trick. They would tell me their order, and I'd just put my hands in my pockets, and I'd listen, and I, uh, I would repeat everything back to them and get it right, like that was my skill. And I thought that that would lead to better tips. It didn't at all. It was totally useless. I don't know why I practiced so hard because it turns out that's not actually why people come to IHOP. They don't come for magic tricks or come to see like some waiter who uh, is, is really good at remembering things. That's not why they come to IHOP at all. You know why people come to IHOP? For the pancakes, you, yeah, you've been, you know, it is the International House of Pancakes. That's why they come there. It turns out people don't really care about the waiters that much. What they care about is who's running the kitchen, right? They want to know who's in charge. And so as long as the pancakes are good, it doesn't really matter which waiter is bringing them out to you. It doesn't matter if he can remember everything. It doesn't matter if he writes everything down. The waiter is unimportant. What they were really concerned with is who is running the kitchen, I think about that and I think Paul is saying, listen, it doesn't matter if your waiter is Apollos, it doesn't matter if your waiter is Paul, who really cares about the waiter? What really matters is who is running the kitchen. And I'd ask you, Coastal Oaks, do you know who is running the kitchen ultimately at Coastal Oaks. I think we do, right? Like, I I think we we love our waiters. We are proud of our waiters, but ultimately, we know who is running the kitchen here at Coastal Oaks. Now, friends, I say that because you don't have to feel disloyal to Kevin because you welcome and love Chris. Chris. You are not being disloyal to PK because you welcome and love Chris. Chris and PK have the exact same mission. They are on the same team. Kevin planted seeds. Chris is going to water them. And guess what? Somebody else will come along one day who will harvest some of that work and who will plant some new seeds. They are all co-laborers. They are all co-workers. They are on mission together. And so we don't have to take sides between pastors. No, we can remember that we are all on the same side. We are all working with the same mission. And while that is good news, let me tell you, there's even better news than that, is that you can be a part of the work, that being a waiter, being a servant, being on mission for God isn't just limited to the person who stands up here for a little bit of time on Sunday mornings. No, all of us Get to join in the work that God is doing. You planted seeds alongside of Kevin, didn't you? You get to plant seeds alongside of Pastor Chris now. You watered alongside of Kevin. You get to water alongside of Chris. You serve this community in tangible and meaningful ways with PK. People came to know the Lord. There were baptisms and there were lives that were radically changed by the message of the gospel. And guess what? All of those same things are going to be true in this next season with Pastor Chris. Let me ask you, are there still needs to be met in Aransas County? Yeah, that's not just a rhetorical question. Are there needs? Of course there are, right? And are there still people whose lives have not been given over to God who don't know the hope that's found in the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get after it then, together, all together. We all get to be waiters. We all get to be servants together. And you know why? Because we know who's running the kitchen, right? We can serve because we know who is in charge. We get to be co-laborers because we know the mission that we are pursuing. And there are good days ahead when we remember that. Let me end, there were, my very first sermon here back in January, um, I, I got to share this proverb that the, ble- the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Say that again, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. And if you've ever walked through a nursery, if you've ever thought about, you know, doing some work in your yard, you know that's true. Like, you love the idea of a big, beautiful tree with this huge canopy, but it's so hard to think about, oh my goodness, that's going to take forever. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but guess what? The second best time is right now to make that decision, to let it grow into what it can be in the future. The same is true for all of us when it comes to following the Lord. Perhaps you think that there would be good days ahead, that you could have hope for the upcoming days if only you had done something differently in the past. And maybe you think things are far too gone to ever get back on track, that that God can't actually do anything with your life. But if we remember what Paul writes in Philippians, that the God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it which means there's no better time than today to commit your life to following him. You don't have to wait to make that decision. You don't have to like watch for a little bit and just see how things are gonna pan out at Coastal Oaks. You don't have to decide if you, you like Pastor Chris. You don't have to decide if it's possible to be a Christian and a fan of the Aggies. Like you don't have to wait. Like you can just watch for a little bit. That jury's still out. You'll see, um, you'll, you'll be able to make Make your own decision. You don't have to wait till the start of a new school year. You don't have to wait till the end of a holiday weekend. You don't have to wait for anything. Today, right at this moment, you can commit yourself to following the Lord. And we can be sure that the God who has begun a work in you is going to see it through to completion. He's going to finish what he started. Friends, there are good days ahead for Coastal Oaks Church there are good days because we know that God's, promise, God's presence will not leave you. We know that there are good days ahead because God has called a new leader and we know that there are good days ahead because God has invited us all to join in the work that he is already doing here in Aransas County. And so let me say in front of all of you as we wrap up today, I don't have a mantle to pass. I mean, it's the beginning of summertime in Texas. Who wants an extra outer coat, right? Like, I I don't roll with a mantle. But I can say publicly in front of everyone that I vow before God and his church this day to step down from being the pastor of Coastal Oaks Church. It is no longer my obligation or my responsibility to lead this church, and I fully and completely relinquish any authority that was given to me by this church. And I'd ask your new pastor, Pastor Chris Irving, do you vow this day to serve Coastal Oaks Church with grace and mercy and humility? He does, absolutely. And so, Pastor Chris, may the God of this church guide you as you serve them. Because friends, there are good days ahead. There are good days in the future. Would you pray with me?